well, hey, I'm going to have you turn over to an old chapter of Scripture. I guess they're all old, but we're going to have you turn over an old chapter of Scripture that we've already been in in this series into Romans chapter 12. So if you have your Bible, you can up to, open up to Romans chapter 12. The last several weeks, we have been in a, in a lengthy series, kind of a three-part series. We're getting ready to go into the third part of the series this week. But in our first part of the This Is Us series, we talked about the atmosphere that we wanted to create as the church in Madison and what we wanted it to feel like when you walked in. And I know that that sounds uh, less than scriptural, but we, we, we want to feel like what the Bible tells us we're supposed to be like when you walk in. So we, we walked through that with several steps. And then over the last several weeks, we actually talked about what we believe because you get that sometimes. People will come to a church and be like, well, what do you believe? So we wanted to establish just a few core foundational truths about who we are. Now, we have a whole lot more beliefs than what we covered, but we wanted to cover the big ones, that we all believe that, that we are in a fallen state, that we all have sin in our life, that we all need a savior, that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And we talked about all these things. We talked about Jesus coming back and how many times uh, he talked in, in his own words about coming back to planet earth. And then we also talked about worship last week and the power that's in worship, the power that's, that's in our life of worship, not just our songs, not just our music, but a life that's lived out as, a, as an act of worship to God. And this week we want to get into culture, not just how we feel when we walk in, because atmosphere is that, right? The atmosphere of a place is how it feels when you walk in. Culture is who we actually are and, and, and what we actually want to be. And so Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to hang out today, just today, even though we've already been there. Uh, and I want to talk to you about this idea of culture inside of the church. Now, I got to tell you, uh, I, I've been around I've been around church for a very, very long time, and culture, the word culture, everybody say culture. The word culture became a buzzword in the church about five years ago, and it, it, it got talked about so much that I almost got sick of, of hearing the word culture, culture, culture. And we think of culture as what's going on in society, but we talked about culture inside of the church, and it really is true. Every church, every place has a culture, and it is either there by design or it's there by default, but there is a culture. There is a way of doing things. Every church is something. They really are something. They stand for something. They operate in a certain way, and they have a culture, and culture should have its root in Scripture. I don't know. If I call me crazy, but I think everything a church does should be rooted in Scripture. Um, I really do. Uh, I, I really think that that churches should be operating according to the Holy Word of God. And listen, I, I want you to understand this because uh, I, I know that we have lights, and I know that we have, uh, you, you know, m maybe there's some modern amenities in our building. That's just because we updated the building. But we're not trying to be cool here at this church. Um, we're not. We're not trying to. I, I, I'm not trying to be controlling, and we're not trying to be cute. Uh, those are the three C's I've gotten sick of inside of churches. I, I, I'm not looking to, to to be cool anymore. I'm not looking to be controlling or cute. Listen, I, I don't want you to come here because this is the this is the fun place to be. Although it's okay as a Christian to have fun. Like I I think sometimes people think we're sticks in the mud, and and only some of us are. Um, but. <laughs> But that's not because they're a Christian. That's just who they are. Um, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. Somewhat. But, but if you're offended, it might be you. Um, no. <laughs> the second page is my resignation. Um, so, I'm just kidding. We're not trying to be cool. We, we, I want to be, I want to be a church where you can walk in and go, okay, well, they, you know, they, they steward what God's given them. Like, I, I don't see any reason for the carpet to be 1940 shad carpet and orange. Like, we're going to update that, okay? But we're not trying to be cool. And I'm not trying to be controlling. Now, some people want uh, a pastor to preach from the pulpit the truth of the word of God. I happen to be a guy that likes to preach the truth of the word of God, which means that you're going to hear me step on your toes sometimes, and you're going to hear me talk about situations that you may be currently engaged in, and you might get mad at me, and I'm just going to say, hey, was that in the Bible this morning? You're going to say, yeah, it was. I'm going to say, take it back to your seat then, because it was in there. Um, but I'm not trying to control you. Listen, I, you are the one that decides what you do, right? 
the Holy Spirit of God will convict you of sin and righteousness, and you're the one that has to decide on whether or not you're going to respond. I'm going to preach the full counsel of the Word of God. You're the one that has to react and respond to it. You're the one that has to apply it to your life. So I'm not going to try to control you. I'm not going to say, oh, you, you shouldn't be doing that. I'll say that with, I'll say that with, with Scripture. You, you know, If there's things that come out in the Word of God and you go, huh, I'm doing that, you have to make the decision through, through the the response to the Holy Spirit, because he speaks to us, he has a voice. We talked about him being a person, right? He's going to speak to us, and you have to make a decision on whether or not you are going to respond to the word of God, and you're going to respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I'm not trying to live your life for you. Listen, we are all growing in our walk with God, including me. And so I'm working through my own soul salvation with fear and trembling before the Lord. I'm going to try to help you do it too, but I'm not going to, I, I, I don't stand outside of your house looking through your window and go, oh, you know, I don't dig through your trash to see what you did last Saturday. That's your own doing. And I'm not trying to be cute either. Listen, I, 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 we, we have Facebook, we have social media begrudgingly on my behalf. Like they, Pastor Josh does a good job with it. Uh, I don't, it's not my thing. Like I, I'm not tweetable, I'm not Instagrammable, and I certainly have a face made for radio. And so I'm not trying to, I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be the church that's cute. <laughs> you got it there. <laughs> I was like, he shouldn't be on TV, I get. Um, yeah, I, listen, I, I want our church to be a good church. Amen. What I saw from our church on Monday was a good church. Amen. Amen. Not on Sunday, on Monday. We had a family in the church that lost somebody from cancer, and this church, as young as it was, loved on them in a way that they were just, they were just floored. Couldn't believe it. And that's what a church is supposed to look like, getting together, fellowshipping, breaking bread together getting into the word of God together, worshiping together. It's not just what we do on Sunday. It's not just our social media platforms. Who, who really cares? You can have a great social media platform and be a terrible church. We want to be everything that God wants us to be. But I have to, I, what I'm going to talk about over the, over the next few minutes is I want to talk about, and we've already talked about this, I want to talk about rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep, and living in harmony with one another because I want that to be a part of who we are. I learned a long time ago as a pastor, if you want, to, if you want people to truly know that you're a believer and you want people to know that you truly care, don't miss the milestone moments. And that's what that scripture is getting at that we're going to get into today with rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. We are not, we're supposed to go through milestone moments with one another. And oftentimes we miss those milestone moments, but we will tell people how much we care. Listen, people don't, know, don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's an old saying in the church. They don't care about what you know until they know that you care. And sincerely, we can't miss milestone moments. And milestone moments aren't always high moments. It's not always high school graduation parties, college college graduation parties or babies being born. Sometimes milestone moments, the moments that change people's lives are the hard moments as well. And those are the harder ones to engage in. Those are the ones that you've got you've to really want to be a follower of Jesus to engage in those moments because it is easy to walk away from somebody's pain when you've got your own pain. It is easy to walk away from somebody else's problems when you've got your own problems. And it's hard to engage in that time because we are all living our own life. We have our own families. We have our own set of circumstances and our own set of problems. By a show of hands in here, who in the last month has had a problem that you've had to deal with? Well, God bless you if you haven't. I want to live your life. We all have problems, like even small problems. I mean, raising our kids, figuring out where, the, where we're going to pay our bills from, and, and, and are we going to keep our job? We all have things we deal with. But, but the Bible actually talks about us not just focusing on our problems, but actually walking through other people's pain with them. And I want to tell you, this is the reason I'm talking about this twice. I want our church to be biblically good at this. I want us to be biblically good at this. And I want to talk to you about culture uh, and who we're going to be uh, as a church. We're trying to be good Christians, followers of Jesus. But 
in Christian environments, every church does have a feel, and sometimes it isn't very appetizing. Sometimes churches' environment or their culture isn't very appetizing. I've been around churches that, and there's a lot of them right now that that will say things like, "We want to be a we we we, we want to be a hopeful church," but they will, but when they talk, they seem hopeless. Uh, they seem like there's not a whole lot of hope. I've heard I've heard people say Jesus is our only hope, but on the back end of that same kind of sentence, I've heard Christians say. Jesus is our only hope, but nobody wants to hear the truth anymore. Well, that's just not true. People do want to hear the truth. People want to know the truth, but sometimes your church is off-putting, and sometimes the way you present the the truth is off-putting, because to speak the truth is only a part of what Jesus told us to do. He told us to speak the truth in love. So some of us are really good at the love part and never tell the truth. Some of us are really good at the truth part and never love people. It's when the two come together that it actually is effective, and some churches aren't good at one or the other. I've heard people, I've heard churches talk about reaching people for Jesus. We want to get new people into our church, as if the old people in their church, and I'm not talking about age, okay? I'm talking about people that have been in the church for a while, as if the people that are in the church that have been in the church for a while are no good. We want to get new people in the church. Uh, we want to get new people in the church, but we want to challenge our existing people in the church to reach those new people. That's part of our walk with the Lord, right? So we want to have both going on, but I will listen to churches talk about reaching people for Jesus, but they will never do anything other than open their doors on Sunday morning. Come to us. Come to us. Come to us. And sometimes that's our walk with the Lord, and that's how we talk to people about Jesus, even in our one-on-one conversations with people. Well, you need to, you need to get your life right with the Lord, honey. Listen, I'm t- I, I know that we can tell the truth to our loved ones, but I also want you to show them the truth. Show them that you love them. Show up in their hard moments. Listen, people know where the well is when they're thirsty. That's so good. Nobody got it. People know where the well is when they're thirsty. Be a well in someone's life, and eventually they'll find themselves drawing the water that God's put on the inside of you, out of you. I've been in places where there's no outreach, there's no fellowship, there's no challenging people to invite people or to talk about Jesus, and yet they will say, we haven't had anybody new in our church. We want new people, we just don't know how to get them. Listen, we can't be the church of the frozen chosen. We can't be a holy huddle. We have to break the huddle and go out. We've got to get outside. We've got to talk to people. We've got to love people outside of this place. Listen, I still believe inviting people to church is the most evangelistic tool that you can ever have. Some people will say, well, I don't need to invite people to church to talk to them about Jesus. I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to do a really good job of talking about Jesus if you bring your friends here, and they're going to find him here. I can tell you they're going to find him here because we've had over 50 people give their life to Jesus in 15 weeks. We're going to do a good job, but you can also talk to them about Jesus in your personal life. It's all of the above. You talk on an individual level, but invite them to the body. This is God's plan A. This is, this is what he wants us to be a part of. See, you don't have to come here to be a Christian, but it sure helps you stay that way. It helps you walk it out to have people that are in like mind with you. And so we do believe church is important. We're going to continue to try to disciple those that we have, and we're going to try to reach people that are on the outside. We want our, who we say we want to be to line up with who we actually are. Listen, as a church, we can expect things to be right or we can work towards making them right. Now, some of us would say, well, well, God's got God's to show up. Yeah, he does have to show up. We sing songs like that. Nothing happens if you don't show up. We fully get that. But that word not only tells us how to live our life as an, as an individual, do you know that Bible actually tells, tells you how to interact with the people that are sitting around you? Your family, your individual family, it tells you how to treat your, treat your wife, treat your husband, treat your children. It tells you how to act toward other Christians and how to respond to other believers. It also, it also tells you how to act to people who are outside of the church. It literally has insider language and it has outsider language. Colossians chapter 4 verse 5 says this, and this is just one I just looked up. They're all over the Bible. It says this, be wise in the way you act toward, it uses the word outsiders, make the most of Every opportunity, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Everyone. Wow. 
He says there's a conversation that you have on the inside of the church. There's a way that you act toward believers. There's a way that you act toward unbelievers. And you've got to be careful with the conversations that you have that it is seasoned with salt. And sometimes I even find myself at softball games not being so seasoned with salt. Yelling at 14-year-old umpires, where's that pitch at? You know, I got to watch myself. I apologize, Lord. And it wasn't because she was doing a bad job bumping. I just wanted the game to be over. It was hot. I'm like, let's speed it up. Make them swing. I don't care. Listen, we've got to be very careful. We've got to be very careful because we're supposed to act a certain sort of way to people who are on the outside. Why? What's the point of acting a certain sort of way to people on the outside? It's so that they want to come to the inside. That's the whole point. That's the entire point is God wants to take outsiders. He has a habit of taking outsiders and outcasts and making them insiders and useful. And he wants us to be a part of that. We have a huge part to play in that. That's what harmony's all about. We're going to get to that in just a quick second. I want you to understand there's a way that we act toward people in the church and a way that we act toward people outside of the church. And I will say this uh, I, I will say this, I was, I was listening to worship, I was watching people worship. Some of what's off-putting to people outside of the church is not our reverence toward God. They don't have a problem with our reverence toward God. I watched you worship, I watched you pray, I listened to you shout and clap. Some of you were on beat, some of you weren't, it's okay. Listen, I, you, most, of the, most everybody in this room has a reverence toward God and it is not off-putting. What most people have a problem with is not our reverence toward God. It's our reverence toward one another. They listen to us talk about people that we sit in the pews with or talk about our pastor or go on Facebook and throw off on the church. And they look at that. Listen, it's not our reverence toward God. We have reverence toward God. I would venture to say your reverence toward God could be better magnified if you had reverence toward his children. Sometimes I honestly think that we think that we can talk about one of God's children and he as a father doesn't have a problem. It's Father's Day. I'm going to tell you right now, every one of us are God's children if he lives on the inside of us. And how do you feel when somebody talks about your kids? Our reverence toward one another. I haven't even gotten into scripture yet. I'm just giving you good opinions right now. And I'll tell you when it's my opinion and I'll tell you when it's scripture. But I do believe wholeheartedly that's some of the issue. We've got to, we, we want to be a church that reveres one another. What does that mean? That's not even in my notes. What does that mean, revering one another? If you have, this is scripture, if you have a problem with your brother or sister, it means you go talk to everybody else about it. It means you go talk to the pastor first about it and let the pastor deal with it. No, you go to them. What a congenial idea. You offended me, and I went straight and talked to you. No social media, no publicity, no talking to the pastor. I just went and had a godly conversation with you. We hugged it. Sometimes you just got to hug it out. You know what I mean? Uh, not in the COVID era, but you, you, you got to hug it out. You got to talk it out. Scripture says that we're supposed to have those conversations one with another, that, that we go to somebody that offends us, or if we have offended somebody, we're supposed to apologize. Wow, that's a, that's a crazy thing too. Like if we hurt somebody, we say, I'm sorry. We'll talk about that too, that we're a forgiving culture. I'm going to get into that in a couple of weeks, that we have a place where you can make mistakes we want, you, we want you to learn how, listen, because we all stumble. We all make mistakes. I want you to learn how to fall forward and get back up. Listen, the word of God talks a whole lot about how we're supposed to interact with one another and how we're not supposed to interact with one another, things we're supposed to do and things we're not supposed to do. And that's the culture of the church. This is a corporate effort. One of the things that I am tired of in the modern era is churches being so focused on the personality of the pastor and the ministry being done by the pastor. Listen to me. I will let you down and I am only one person. Can you imagine, I want you to imagine being me, <laughs> but I want you to look around the room and I want you to imagine just this, just, this is just one service and not everybody's here today, adding all this to your family. Look at it. Look around. This isn't even, we're not even a big church yet. Add this to your family. Add the next service to your family. Add the folks that aren't here to your family. I can promise you there's going to be something that happens in your life, and 
I might not even, people expect you now to just watch Facebook all day long and even tell you when something's wrong. They just get mad when you're not there. Imagine adding this to your family. It's, it, listen, it is my job to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. What's the work of the ministry? Look around. You're the work of the ministry. Outside is the work of the ministry. We're supposed to take care of one another's needs. The better we become at doing that together, the better this church will be and the further its reach will go. The more that we're willing to call one another, love on one another, serve one another, serve outside of here, the further this church will go. If you want to go far, right? It says go together. This is the old proverb. It's not proverb out of Proverbs. It's the old Chinese proverb. If you want to go far, go together. If you want to go fast, go alone. We're not looking to go fast. We're looking to go far. And I want to go together. So let's get into this. Romans chapter 12. Turn over to Romans chapter 12. And we're only going to read verses 15 through 16. I'm going to make you stand to wake back up. Let's stand. Do I have a soothing voice? Do I? I don't know what it is. I know it's not. I know it's not. I don't have, I don't have enough bass in my voice for it to be that soothing. I'm kind of screechy and loud. Romans chapter 12, verses 15 through 16 is all we're going to read. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Everybody say rejoice. rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Everybody say mourn. mourn. Live in harmony. Everybody say harmony. harmony. With one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this short scripture, Lord. We're going to get into it for just a moment. Teach us today in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Shake it off. All right. Romans chapter 12, verses 15 through 16. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Weep with those who weep. Listen, some of us in here have, have, have trouble with the definition or the difference between empathy and sympathy. And, and, and the church is not called to be sympathetic. The church is called to be empathetic, okay? And, and, and I want to talk about being empathetic or weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. And so we're going to talk about the difference between empathy and sympathy. Sympathy is feeling sorry for somebody. All of us have felt that before. We've all felt sorry for somebody. We've heard something. We, you know, I, I, I mean, I heard, I heard today, I've got a funeral to go to next week. I, I feel bad for them um, because a good friend of mine lost, lost their parent on Friday and I'm going to go to the funeral. That's the difference between sympathy and empathy. Empathy is going to the funeral. Sympathy is saying, sorry for your loss. I, I, I want us to be, to be good at being empathetic. Empathy is feeling sorrow with somebody. It's crying with somebody. It's walking through and journeying with, through, through that with somebody. And rejoicing is actually celebrating with somebody, not just being happy for somebody because we, 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 we are help, happy for people too. Like, congratulations on a job well done. Congratulations on your birthday. Congrat we congratulate people all the time. But rejoicing is actually celebrating with people who celebrate. And there are things that get in the way of us being a culture that celebrates people's victories together. A church should be able to celebrate victories together. I'm glad Ed came up here and shared his te testimony. We should celebrate that. We should celebrate, right? I, I'm glad when somebody gets the promotion they wanted at their job. We should celebrate that together. I'm glad when I find out somebody that's been struggling to get pregnant gets pregnant. We celebrate that together. When that baby's born, we celebrate together. We're happy for one another. But sometimes the church, sometimes our reverence to God is better than our reverence toward one another. And sometimes we have things get in the way of us rejoicing with those who rejoice. Some of the problems that get in the way of us rejoicing with those who rejoice is jealousy. Some of us want the things that the person got, and we haven't gotten the things that the person got, and so we have a problem with that person getting the thing that that person got, and it becomes very hard for us to engage in a culture of celebration because they got what we wanted and we didn't. Sometimes that happens. I've had, I've had things like that happen through the years. I've had mothers who struggled seeing uh, other... I, I've had women who struggled with getting pregnant see mothers who, who, who got pregnant and they were, they were angry that somebody else had gotten pregnant. I've seen people who are angry with who got pregnant. I'm going to be a good mom. They're not even going to be a good mom. I, why would God do this to me? And it's like in their heart of hearts, they're speaking in their pain. In their heart of hearts, they don't feel that way. But because 
because they're going through what they're going through, they struggle with celebrating with somebody who is experiencing a good thing in their life. Some of us in here hate the job that we're at, and so we have a problem when somebody else gets a great job or gets a promotion at their work. And I don't like talking about stuff like that all the time in the Christian realm, but we are bad at celebrating sometimes with one another when realistically, maybe God will give us victory if we can take a victory lap with somebody else. Daggone, that was good. Sometimes I say stuff and I'm like, that's good. I need to write that down. Sometimes, listen, I think God would give us victory if we engaged in the victory lap of somebody else. We struggle with that sometimes. And jealousy can get in the way and it can turn into anger. We can get angry with somebody for getting something that we want or something that we got bypassed on or something that we wish we had. We, we, we can get to the place where we have resentment and envy. And it's really not that attractive to unbelievers to watch believers act that way toward one another. I want to be a church where people walk in and they go, that is the most exuberant place that I have ever been. I, I, I mean, I'm not saying we need to overwhelm people to this level, but like I want it to be such a celebratory environment. It'd be cool to just set up a tunnel and just high five people. Come on, come on, as they're coming into church. What's wrong with that? You know, some of us in here drag ourselves to church and drag. We're just, we're just maintaining until the Lord comes by bringing in the sheaves. I don't even know. <laughs> you know, we're just surviving and not thriving. This is supposed to be a celebratory environment. Listen, Jesus rose from the dead, conquering hell, death, and the grave, and we should be able to rejoice. Listen, even if you haven't had a recent victory, you've had permanent victory in your life. Sometimes we go through a season of of losses because he wants us to be thankful for victory. He wants us to go through a hard spot because of what he's about to do through us and in us and through somebody else. And sometimes we lose that celebratory environment. Listen, we are to rejoice with those who rejoice. I want this to be a place where we can constantly come and see good that's happening. We spend too much time focusing on what's going on bad in the world, and I can do it too. Listen, if I watch the news for too long and I watch it too much and I look at Facebook for too long, I can go and turn into a negaholic real fast. And have a real problem. And I've got to just, I've just got to, sometimes I've got to say, you know what? That is going on in the world, but there's a whole different culture on the inside of this place. There's a whole different culture on the inside of this place. While the world is struggling, the church can be thriving. While the world is hurting, the church can be healthy and whole. While the world is going crazy, the church can still be sane. And we need to understand we are, we are culturally change agents on the outside of the world if the culture in here is right. Amen. We're supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice. Weeping with those who weep is even harder. It's even harder because jealousy and resentment and anger and all that stuff can build up and block our celebration with other people. But sometimes, sometimes our own pain can cause us to not engage in the pain of others. Or sometimes we will be, uh, we will be competitive in our pain levels. I'm hurting worse than you. I'm in more pain than you. And I'm not talking about physical pain, but it can be physical pain. Well, what I'm, what I'm going through is worse. Listen, I want to engage in competitive honor, but I don't want to get, get engaged in competitive pain. I want to compete to be good to one another, but I don't want to compete to complain to one another. Oftentimes, sometimes that's what we do. I know people that, you know the people that are like, you got a cold, they got, they got pneumonia. It's like, you didn't have pneumonia until I told you I got a cold. Well, I just developed. <laughs> I feel it all of a sudden. It's something scratching. You know, you, or, or man, I'm really having a hard time at work. Oh, my goodness, my boss. You know, oh, Lord. I, you know, they just, they take it to another level the entire time. And they compete to be in more pain. Listen, if you find yourself ever doing that, stop it. As a man thinketh, so is he. If you're competing for pain, you're going to develop it. Stop it. Speak life, not death over yourself. 
But listen, we're not called to compete with pain. We're called to walk through pain with somebody else. David said this in the book of Psalms, and I remember the first time I read this and it sank in. It was a few years ago. And it was just one of those scriptures you've read, you know, you just kind of right by it. But it says, O Lord, in Psalm 56, 8, O Lord, you, you number my wanderings. You put my tears into your bottle. Are they not all in your book? That, that, that's, just a, that's just such a short scripture. You number my wanderings and you put my tears in your bottle. And they're all in your book. We know, we know that God is close to us in our pain. I mean, we even know that he's close to us when we suffer a loss. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints, is what the Bible says. We know that God is right there. And, and, and some people will tell you, I've never felt the Lord closer than when I was my sickest. I've never felt the Lord closer when I, than when I was going through the hardest time. But realistically, realistically, the church is supposed to mimic the character of God, are we not? We're supposed to be like him, like Jesus. That's what being a Christian is. And if God knows us so intimately that the tears that we cry, he bottles them up and he has them and he numbers them and he looks at them. If God knows us that intimately, how important are the tears of other saints and how important are they to us? Now, I'm not talking about being a crybaby. I tell my, she can tell you this is the truth. It's not a, this is not going to embarrass you today, not on Father's Day, okay? But she will tell you this is the truth. I've told her throughout her life, don't only cry when it's worthy of your tears. Because we'll cry over things that don't matter quite so much. Like, my wife is my favorite, favorite American idol and I just can't believe they got voted off. Okay, stop. It's not worthy of your tears, Right? Or when they cancel the McRib, whatever. It's like, like, okay, maybe. I mean, I cried tears of joy when the grocery stores got Chick-fil-A sauce. I was like, it can't be so. I don't have to drive to Columbus anymore. I know, you know what I'm talking about. Get you. Listen, when, if, if God is so intimately aware of our pain and I, that he, he, he puts our tears in his bottle and we're supposed to be like him, it tells you how important and how much a part of the culture of the church is supposed to be. Nobody, listen to me, and I know this is gonna sound really weird, but let me explain it. Nobody should do grief better than the church. And I'm not talking about causing it, I'm talking about healing it. Nobody should do that better than us. But, but sometimes this is an area where we need to grow. I read this and, and I didn't, I haven't studied out the veracity of this quite as much, but I, I'm sharing this with you because it's, it's a great idea, even if it's, I know it's going to sound really weird, even if it's not, it doesn't bear itself out to be true, okay? But there is, there is written that in biblical times, in the temple in Jerusalem during the time of Jesus that they would have an unusual custom that when the temple was crowded with people, they made everybody walk in one door and out the other door. Kind of like COVID. Uh, <laughs> stop it. And during the time of Jesus and Herod's temple, the worshipers would all enter the temple mount from the south and they would go up the steps of Solomon's portico. Then they would do their business up on the Temple Mount, and they would usually exit out the northeastern corner. So they had a, there was a flow. There was a flow to the temple, okay? There was one exception to that rule where you came in one spot and went out the other. The exception to that rule was whenever there was a Jewish family in Jerusalem who had gone through a genuine time of heartache and sorrow, that family was actually allowed to walk totally against the flow of the people traffic. So they walked in the opposite direction. They would enter where everybody else was exiting, and they would exit where everybody else was entering. And it's said that they made that happen because they wanted the worshipers to see their pain. Because the church is supposed to be better at it than any 
anybody else. We're supposed to take better care of people than anybody else. I submit to you what's off-putting to the world is not our reverence for God. It's our reverence for one another. And over and over and over in Scripture, they want us to understand. They will know that you are mine by the way that you, Jesus said this, by the way that you love one another. We're trying to give you opportunities to get to know one another, fellowship with one another, love one another. But you could take a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Well, pastor, I don't know anybody. Well, we can solve that problem for you. Pastor, nobody talks to me. Do you talk to them? Pastor, nobody knows what I'm going, what, what's going on in my life. Well, call me. Please don't just put it on Facebook because if you do, I might miss it. You might not be in my feed. I don't know why I get to say like six people in my feed. I got to change that up. People will know that you're mine by the way that we love one another. But again, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. And I've always added this to that saying. You can take a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. And if you do, you drown it. Because when you push something's head down in water, they drown you can't force that, that to happen. We're going to provide opportunities for you to love one another. It's up to you to love one another, right? It's not, it's not, you all need to know I love you. I might not know you as well as I want to, but I'm trying to provide opportunities for that to happen too. I want to know your name. I want to know your family. I want to know, I want to know what's going on great in your life, and I want to know what's, what, what the source of your deepest pain is, and, and I want to help, and our church wants to help. But we can only go so far. See, even God can only go so far. He, he even said, if you draw nigh unto me, I'll draw nigh unto you. If you come part of the way, I'll come the rest of the way. Even when the, in the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, when the prodigal son had returned and the father saw him from a great distance, it was then, it was then that the father ran toward him. Listen, sometimes you got to make a move. You have to make a move. We want to be good at this and the church should be better at pain than anybody else. Anybody else at all? Listen. That's just what Jesus did. He was great at pain and he was great at celebration. The beginning of his ministry was turning water into wine at a wedding at Cana, celebrating. Toward the end of his ministry, it was showing up at the tomb of Lazarus, weeping with his sisters and raising Lazarus from the dead. In every ministry in between, he was fantastic at rejoicing with those who rejoiced and weeping with those who weeped. And so many of the great stories of the New Testament that we love, if you really read the context of those stories, it was Jesus engaging in people's pain. When everybody else walked away, when there was no other answer, it was Jesus engaging in their pain. Joshua, I'm going to have you come. And then the Bible says in that same verse, and I think it's lumped together for a specific reason, to live in harmony with one another. And this is where we're going to end today. To live in harmony with one another. Harmony is a funny thing. Um, all of us come from different walks of life, different generations, different neighborhoods, different, maybe different states, different cities. Some of us think differently than others. We agree on a lot of things. We don't agree on everything. I don't have to agree with everything to love you. Uh, I really don't. You shouldn't have to agree with everything that I say to love me, even though, you know, uh, I'm trying to preach out of the word. So I ask you to weigh it. But I'm able to love people that I don't agree with everything that they say or do. I'm... I'm married, like, I, I say that all the time, like, sometimes we don't have the same mind toward a, a thing, yet we stay married, because that's what it looks like, so, before you start playing altar call music, he was just ready, it's all right, settle down, Captain America, okay, <laughs> okay, Listen, I look at our life like notes. It's all, all different notes. Play, play middle C. 
middle C. All right, without playing middle C, play play uh, uh, like a third that would that would create a chord with that. Play whatever note would go with that. Okay, so if you play those all separately, right? I mean, they sound all right. And middle C, middle C, middle C on the piano is super important. It's super important because when they teach, and I'm not a, I'm not a pianist. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a musician. Uh, I, I'm not even really a, a singer. I'm, I, I don't know much about music, but I know that they teach middle C because off of middle C, and middle C is not really technically in the middle of the piano. It's just really kind of sort of in the ballpark. But you learn middle C because of where it's at on the staff, and it helps you to be able to locate other notes. And the Bible tells us to live in harmony with one another, and we all play different notes. So play middle C again. Now play, the, play together what would form a chord. See, they're not all the same note. He's playing three separate notes. Can you play it to a fifth? That's the fifth. Okay, can you play it out of seventh? You got enough fingers for that? See, he's able, he's able to put all these different notes together that by themselves, they don't sound real good, but when you put them together, when you put them together, they make music. And that word harmony is used there for a very specific purpose. We're not all supposed to be just alike. Diversity is a powerful thing in the, in the, the, the body of Christ. And I'm not just talking about diversity of, of of ethnicity. I'm talking about diversity of thought. I'm talking about diversity of, of talent, diversity of age, diversity period. Now, now I will say this, we're not diverse when it comes to how we're supposed to live our life. I, I, I believe that all of us, red and yellow, black and white, young, old, uh, male and female, I believe that this is the guidepost for all of us to live our life. But it's okay for you to like the things that you like. It's okay for you to like the food that you like. It's okay for you to go about building things the way that you build things and doing things the way that you do things. And it's okay for you to dance the way that you want to dance. And it's okay for me to just shuffle because it's all I got, Reverend. I got this right here. I keep it in tight. Okay? Okay? And maybe I, I can add a clap to it. I don't have everything that you got, but I love standing beside of you during worship. It rubs off. I can, right? Like I can clap on beat. And so sometimes I'll stand beside of people that don't clap on beat just to help them out, right? That's harmony. I'm just trying to help them out, you know? So, so listen, but I love, I love that we have all of this. I, I, I can't stand when churches be like, well, we, we want to reach young people. I do too. But I also want to reach old people and middle-aged people. Because as I'm getting older, I realize there's things I did not know at 20 and 16 and 17 and 25 and 35. In fact, I think, it, I, I think if you, you, you would agree with this, the older you get, the more you realize, the less you know. Like, there's still so much to learn. You're like, I'm, I'm just on the cusp of actually being semi-intelligent. And, 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 and the diversity of age is a beautiful thing because... They have walked a mile in our shoes. They have done things that we haven't done, and, and they have seen things, that, and they can help us avoid pitfalls. Listen, sometimes if you'll listen to somebody that's older than you, you don't have to stumble through what they stumbled through if you're wise enough as a young person to take that wisdom. And that is what the body of Christ is supposed to look like. So here it is. We're to rejoice with those who rejoice. Now you can play altar call music. You don't even have to play middle C. Just play wherever you want, buddy, captain. All right. Oh, captain, my captain. I don't know. I love it. I love, I love those movies. Reverend L loves those movies. I know he does. He's a closet Marvel fan. Listen, I know you do. Listen, listen to me. We're rejoicing with those who... Oh, stop it. We're called to rejoice with those who rejoice. It's part of our culture. We want to celebrate. We're called to weep with those who weep, which means that you don't go, oh, no, I got called for a funeral dinner. No, no, it's a high honor. It's a high honor. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you from what you did on Monday, this church is going to grow because of that. Their family was like, that's the kind of place when we're ready to come to church, we're coming there. I'm telling you. In fact, I will tell you, through 20 years of ministry, we've gained more believers in the body of Christ from funerals than I ever have from weddings. Weddings are inherently narcissistic. 
Like, everybody look at me. I got a dress. You know, let's eat my cake. Let's, let's, you know, it, it's, it's, it, 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 they are. They're centered on the bride and the groom. Funerals aren't. Funerals are the type where, you, where their heart is laid open. It's bare and you're able to minister. And I'm telling you, engaging in people's pain. So we're going to rejoice with those who rejoice. We're going to weep with those who weep. And we're going to live in harmony with one another. What does that mean? My expectation of you as a pastor is that if you have a problem with your brother and sister in Christ, if you come to me first, you're out of order. You are out of order. You need to go to them first. If I ask you that question, have you talked to them? Well, no, then stop talking to me because I don't need to hear it yet. It may get to the level where I need to hear it because scripturally there's an escalation that happens. Take a witness. Then it goes before the church. Haven't gotten to that place before where it had to go in front of the whole body. But we would do it if we had to. Understand, we talk to one another. Talk to somebody instead of behind their back. We talk to somebody instead of behind their back. We love one another. Listen, we're going to talk about this in extreme length. Some of you are like, all your sermons are extreme length. It's okay. No, they're not. 43 minutes. Come on. See that? 43 minutes, Reverend O. I got at least seven more before it gets obscene. <laughs> we're going to talk to one another. We're going to forgive one another. That means when somebody does something that offends you, if they say, I'm sorry, you drop the baggage right there. The conversation is over. You don't get to keep picking at the scab anymore because if you do, now you're wrong. Some, I want this to be a place where you can make mistakes. Some of the best ministry comes out of the worst mistakes. Some of the best ministry happens on accident. Some of you are going, what are you talking about, Pastor? Listen, God's plan for my life has been stumbled into more often than it has been like, well, I know exactly what the Lord wants me to do. I literally, he, I feel like sometimes I stumble around. He's like a dad. He's got a little kid by the shoulder. He's going, okay, you need to turn here. Turn there right now. You know, and that's, that's been how it works. And sometimes I've seen just incredible things happen when there's been this synergy of forgiveness and, and, and working together and loving on one another. Some of the best incredible ministries happen, not through planning meetings and all this other stuff, but when people actually live with one another according to this book. Can you imagine that? Like some of the best ministry happens when you try to do this. It really does. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. We're going to take times to celebrate together. We're going to take times to cry together. And we're going to live in harmony with one another. I'm going to hold you to it. I'm going to hold you to it. I expect you to hold me to it. I'm going to hold you to it in your family. Because listen to me, your wife is also your sister in Christ. Let that wreck your brain. Your, your husband is also your brother in Christ. Your children are also God's children. Which means, listen to me, don't be coming to the house of God trying to be right with the people of God when your own house is out of balance. We are all the priests of our own home. Or the priestesses of our own home. We're supposed to have harmony inside of our house. I'm telling you, sometimes, sometimes when we come to church, our whole family needs to come up to the altar because of the car ride we had on the way to church. Didn't happen today, but it's happened before. <laughs> we're to live in harmony with one another. I'm going to have you stand to your feet. Today, we're just going to pray. We're going to end. We're going to do this all over again in about 25 minutes. Dads, after it's over, I want you to come. I want you to get yourself something. Remember Taco Bell, Athens Greek. There is one. I'll set this aside. That's, that's old Carolina barbecue. That should be down here, but it didn't match. This is blue cup. These are all black cups. See, that's my OCD right there, living in harmony. Now it's out of balance because i got to get another cup. I'm a cup short. Okay. All right, we'll fix that. Pastor Kate's the same way. She'd be having a real problem right now. She'd be twitching. Taco Bell, Athens, Old Carolina Barbecue. I want to pray for you today. I want to pray for you today. I want to thank God for you today. Listen, I see, I see the beginning of greatness in this place. Not because of the attendance on Sundays, but because of what I've seen on Monday because of what I've seen when a, a kid in our community got hurt 
and what you did there. I've, I've seen it as I've watched some of you share prayer requests and I've watched some of you rally around people and, and pray with one another. I've watched you fill needs for one another. I see good things. I see good things. And I believe that God's getting ready to use us corporately and individually on a level we can't conceive of. Amen. Let me pray for you today. Father, in the mighty and the matchless name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that you are working in us and through us. And God, you're, you're not only using us, but you're, you're molding us and shaping us into your image. Lord, we, we as believers live in two very different cultures. We're supposed to be in the world. That's what your word says, but not of it, which literally means there's a culture going on on the outside, but there's a whole other culture living on the inside of us living on the inside of this building. And we're not supposed to keep this culture to ourselves. We're supposed to take this culture and this way of doing things and this way of loving one another and this way of interacting with one another. And we're to go, according to Matthew chapter 28, we're we're to go into all the world. We're to make disciples. We're to preach the good news. We're to train up. And you've called us, Lord, to be good to the outside, to interact and to think about how we talk think about how we interact with people who so desperately need you but you have also you've also made it very clear how we're to interact with one another on the inside today what i'm praying lord i i'm praying this for every church but lord i want to see it happen here from the very beginning that we're going to reverence you lord but we're also going to have reverence for one another that we're going to look at each other as brothers and sisters in christ and that if you need something i am here if you need me, I am here. If I have it to give, I'm going to give it. If I, if, I'm, if I can serve you, I'm going to serve you. If you need a meal, I'm not going to let you go hungry. If you need clothes for your back, I'm not going to let you go naked. If, you, if you're about to lose your home, we're going to step in and we're going to serve you, God. That's how we want to be as a church, Lord. We're not going to talk behind each other's backs. We're not going to stab each other in the back. We're not going to stab each other at all. Lord, We are going to forgive one another. We're going to be here in the low moments, and we're going to high-five in the highest of high moments because it is what you've called us to be. It's who you called us to be. Lord, we want to be just that. Father, thank you for the dads in the room. I pray they have a great day. Know how important they are. Know how loved they are. And we pray these things in the name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, dads, come on up. Get what you want.